On today's episode of Citizen the Pod, I sit down with a Kuamens Adu, Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Evergreen Health, to discuss the life-changing work Evergreen does to provide health equity to stigmatized populations. And I speak with former guest Adrian Gar, our resident social worker, about 45's foreign policy screw-ups, Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, just to name a few. Stay tuned. Citizens, voters, patriots, we're back. It's Citizen the Pod. I hope all of you are doing well. Again, I am so grateful for you guys to tune in with me every week. Today, I am joined by someone who's been moving and shaking. She inspires me, okay? She is in the city of Buffalo, working hard on behalf of Buffalonians and everyone in Western New York. Guys, I'm here with Akua Men's Adu. How are you, I am good. How about you? I'm doing all right. That is good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you you for having me. The work she does is important, so we're going to jump right into this conversation. So, she is the equity and inclusion Inclusion Officer for Evergreen Health. I am. So, first off, what is an Equity and Inclusion Officer? So, um, Equity and Inclusion, you know, is coming out of this whole diversity and inclusion movement. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Equity really focuses on how we're just really treating our, our staff to mm-hmm. our patients to making sure that we're solving things in an equitable way. So, mm-hmm. when we're looking at, you know, making a change within the organization or making sure that, um, you know, patients are getting the type of services they need. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that that's done in an equitable way. Okay. Um, and so equity looks at the needs of people, mm-hmm. essentially, and making sure that we're doing it in a fair and just way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at Evergreen, I actually sit on the executive team mm-hmm. um, where that type of voice is really elevated. Um, and so at the executive team, I'm making sure that every single thing that we're deciding to do has equity behind it. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. And of course, me- of course, inclusion means that everyone's a part of the conversation. Absolutely. Sitting at the table. Yep. Um, well, first of all, how many other organizations have this kind of title? This is new? It's newer. It's definitely newer. Um, and so you're starting to see that come out of different movements. And mm-hmm. so the reason why we actually added that position is we went through the um, Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable okay. um, and the Racial Equity Impact Analysis Training. Mm. And from that, it was decided, you know, this is something that's really important and that should be at the forefront of what we're doing. And so that's why we decided to uh, come up with that type of position. That's awesome. So are nonprofits across the country considering adding this type of position? I think they are, or they're assigning those type of tasks to people that okay. are already in the organization. So sometimes you'll see an HR director or someone within HR kind of tasked with those type of things, but mm-hmm. it really depends on how much that you know organization wants that to be at the forefront and name it out. Yeah, you know, individuals. So you know, an organization is real about what they talk about. I'd if say they so. Have Absolutely. This kind of Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So at Evergreen. What what do you guys what do you have going on at Evergreen? I know a lot of people who mm-hmm. listen to the show may not be familiar with this sure. nonprofit or look or you might be looking for something similar to what Evergreen does in your community. So just give folks an idea of what Evergreen does. Yeah, so um, Evergreen Health is a comprehensive healthcare system mm-hmm. um, that focuses on medical, supportive, and behavioral services. Um, and essentially Evergreen meets the patient where they are. So we mm-hmm. go through um, you know, we, we believe in this mantra of uh, harm reduction which 
which means, mm. you know, we're providing care at an individual level. We're making sure that it's non-judgmental. Okay. Um, obviously, we respect and celebrate diversity, mm -hmm. and just making sure that that patient is included in the decisions that are being made about their overall health care. Nice. So we have a, a variety of different services. Um, some people might know us from, you know, we have uh, STI screenings and testing okay. to um, treatment. Um, we also have the second largest syringe exchange program right. in, in uh, New York mm -hmm. State, actually. And so people can come in and really just take charge of their care um, mm -hmm. and have patients or actually have providers that are really cultural, culturally sensitive um, to the needs of these communities. Right. That we serve. Well, I'm happy that you mentioned the syringe exchange because I think that's one of the things that most people in Buffalo know Evergreen to be connected to. Right. But the work you do is just so important. I mean, from you definitely work with marginalized and stigmatized Absolutely. communities, yes. um, those who are battling with HIV AIDS. Right. Like you mentioned, the syringe exchange, so you're definitely dealing with addiction. Right. Um, the opioid epidemic Absolutely. is real. Right. So, and I also um, love the fact that you guys have stepped into the housing space because yes. I don't think very many people realize how difficult it is for these groups to get quality housing too. I mm -hmm. mean, you, mm -hmm. you, a lot of times people, these folks aren't, are judged immediately right. and they have a hard time finding somewhere to live that is just like, that's humane. It's like worthy of right. you staying in. You should, you should, these people should not be thrown to the side and cast away. They should feel, they should be humans. They right. should be treated like humans. Right. So I think that's awesome. And then the, the piece about that is, you know, even as a health provider, right? Mm -hmm. You want to take care of someone's um, overall health. And the yes. reality is you have to look at a variety of different factors mm -hmm. that play into it. So we're yes. talking about sexual health or we're talking about, you know, nutrition, but how can you talk about that if someone doesn't have somewhere to live? Yes. You know what I mean? Or if they're not in a place of having transportation or mm -hmm. access. So we try to look at all those different barriers. I and mean, we call them the social determinants of health mm. and looking at that scale and making sure that we're hitting each one of those pieces. So that's why housing is important, you know, mm -hmm. in, in this whole conversation as well. Yeah. And most people, like I have mentioned before, we've seen Evergreen on the news trying to work with the community, especially when it came to the syringe exchange right, program. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of communities have a hard time mm -hmm. with working with these groups because they feel that if we allow this element yes. into my community, yes. Yes. then, you know, my kids won't be able to play outside because there's just going to be people on the streets doing drugs right. and like throwing needles everywhere. And that's, I mean, I, it's a stigma that we carry with a lot mm -hmm. of marginalized communities because a lot of, I mean, these are the same things that they will say to like, House, say about housing projects right. or, in like I mean, ghettos. You think about even HIV, right? right. You talked about HIV and that mm -hmm. movement and how there weren't many people willing to even go in that space. And so mm -hmm. that was very stigmatized right. when that was a huge epidemic. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because you've seen the innovation of medicine come a long way with you yes. know, HIV yes. and treatment. And so now, you know, you'll see people talk about how HIV is more treatable than diabetes, essentially. Mm. And so there's medication out there now right. that people can live full long lives, but they'll have different issues like chronic diseases or diabetes mm -hmm. that might be on top of that. And that's why organizations like Evergreen are so important, mm -hmm. you know? And so now when you think about the, the opioid epidemic, mm -hmm. you have another stigmatized group of yes. drug users, essentially. Yes. And so people don't necessarily look at drug users with sympathy or no. kindness or, right. you know, them as a, a complete human being. And so for us, it's, tr you know, trying to 
just tear down some of those barriers and look at the person and, and their full self and saying, what help do you need mm -hmm. and how do we get you to that, that next level? The idea of wraparound services mm -hmm. keeps popping in my head and it's just like in the space that Evergreen's in, we've talked about this in regards to education. I'm just so excited that we're taking holistic approaches yes. to issues that have been impacting communities forever. forever. Sure. I, especially, <laughs> I mean, communities of color. Yes. There's, there's very stigma, like you're saying, there's mm -hmm. very stigmatized communities and I don't think in the past we've really looked at healthcare no. as a holistic thing, right? No. So housing and you know care coordination and care mm -hmm. coordinators actually will help you link to different services that you might need yes. instead of having that person do it on their own, right? Mm -hmm. So having someone that can actually take you through that process and check up on you in that process mm -hmm. is something that's really important as well. Yeah, because the silo system didn't work. Exactly. I mean, we would go to you know, the food stamp office for food stamps. Mm -hmm. And then you have to deal with child support mm -hmm. in the child support mm -hmm. office. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, the criminal courts were totally separate from that if you got in trouble. But right. now we've seen the introduction of drug courts, drug courts yeah. which are awesome. Right. Um, veterans courts, which right. are addressing veterans and homelessness right. and their mental health issues mm -hmm. and their health care at the same time. Um, the fact that we have counselors going into family court now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where we can at least try to mediate issues between two parents. Right. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm hopeful right. that things will change moving forward. I think that we have just been spiraling out of control mm -hmm. for so long mm -hmm. that it's just exciting to see all these different groups like come together and work together and despite everything that's going on in society right, right now. Right, There's a lot. There's a lot, there's <laughs> like, a lot of things going on, but you know, you have these organizations that are looking at that mm -hmm. holistic need. And so when we talk about harm reduction, we're saying that there's places for medical marijuana in that, right? Yes. Like that might be something, we've seen studies show that people who have an addiction with opioids mm -hmm. using marijuana will reduce that, yes. that, that use essentially. Yes. And so that's why it's important to have all these different conversations mm. and have multiple people and stakeholders at the table so that we're thinking about all these things. Yes, for sure. yes, yes, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Um, so if folks want to know more about Evergreen, mm -hmm. uh, if they want to volunteer, if they want to talk to somebody about, about what programs, if they want to receive services, yes. where should they go? So check out our, web, our website, uh, evergreenhs.org, mm -hmm. and there's a whole host of information on there from our providers and services to our volunteer opportunities as well. So in my role, I actually uh, manage the Pride Center of Western New York as okay. well as Community Access Services. Uh, community Access Services really focuses on communities of color and quality of health in those communities okay. and the Pride Center focused on the quality of life for LGBTQ people. And so even our affiliates, which are under, are under Evergreen, are doing the same thing and doing the same work in a way that we're looking at health equity mm -hmm. and what that means and how we can meet people where they are um, and provide services as well. So okay. check out our website, evergreenhs.org. Um, there's a whole host of information on there. Okay. Health equity. That mm -hmm. sounds like a big word. It is. And is that, that isn't just like the conversation between you and your physician. I guess no. I want to know more about like what is health equity. So I, I mean, it's a whole host of things, but mm -hmm. I guess the easiest way to really talk about it is culturally competent care. Okay. 
And so essentially, if you come in as a person of color mm -hmm. or if you come in as someone of the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. you should have doctors and support systems that understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And so essentially, it's really molding the health care needs of a person from a specific community and making sure that they're taken care of. So when you're dealing with, you know, maybe a person from the trans community, addressing them with the right pronoun. That's mm. really important. That's empowering right. that individual yes, and making sure that they feel like, okay, I'm welcome here. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's a, a variety of different issues within these communities that people don't necessarily really take heed to in the general healthcare mm -hmm. spectrum. And right. so we pride ourselves on saying, yes, we're going to make sure that our doctors, our front desk people, the people that you engage with in a clinic setting are all culturally competent and really on the verge of understanding the needs of communities specifically. I feel like we can use some of this cultural competency in D.C. right now. We really could. Because <laughs> they are For acting sure. up. For they sure. are acting up. Yeah. Um, I recently watched a clip from a rally that Congresswoman Ilhan Omar um, had mm. out of Massachusetts with, can't think of her name, Congresswoman. No, she just won that hmm. seat. That, that seat. Uh, but anyway, we had... Rashida Tlaib was there, okay. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar was there, and a few other women in Congress that were basically just standing up yeah. for her. And uh, because mm. they will continue this conversation that, said, that that attacks women of color, and we've seen this. Sure. You know, she's she's made some statements, she's, she's walked some back, mm -hmm. but you know, let's keep it real, some of us heard her statement and was like, what was wrong and with it? That I was mean, like and what? I, what <laughs> exactly. Excuse me. Right. Um, even the tweet that she had put out that basically said it's all about the Benjamins in regards to APAC. But I'm like, I don't uh, understand. You're a lobbyist. You're a lobbyist. Like right. they're lobbyists and they fundraise. That's what they do. Right. Like that is the purpose of APAC. Right. So how is it wrong for her to say it's all about the Benjamins? But mm -hmm. I guess it's the it's the connotation that Jewish people have a lot of money and that's a negative okay. stigma and they will like they. they will buy okay. what they want, but all lobby, like if there was a black firm called Black People for the People and I gave them money, I want them right. to lobby on behalf on of behalf things of that those. are important exactly. for black people, right. Right? right? I mean, I think black people will love the stigma of like being rich. <laughs> like, for sure. And having sure. money and being able to like push their agenda financially right. as well. Right. Um, so I thought that was just a great example of like women coming mm -hmm. together and speaking their truth and standing up for our girl because Congressman Ilhan is a black woman right. and that's Muslim. Right. And, a, and an immigrant. And I mean, it's so important to not only have a diverse, you know, mm -hmm. Congress and, and have diverse folks, but you got to think about the diversity of mind, right? Yes. And lived experience and mm -hmm. how important that is because yes. in the past you've seen more homogenous, you know, right. groups mm -hmm. essentially running this country and I think we're at a point now where people are talking about how important it is to have that representation mm -hmm. and how, how important it is to have people that have similar lived experiences as mm -hmm. you do. So right. now you're coming with, you know, the same type of just feelings and understanding that some communities that historically have not, you know, mm -hmm. had those. So yeah. I think it's really important to have people come in that in that type of way. Well, I'm going to jump 
back a little bit and talk about the $100 billion plan to fight addiction and mental health by Senator from Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar. She is one of many people running mm -hmm. for the Democratic nomination for 2020, and she put out a very large bill. She wants to spend $100 billion really? over, a over a decade, too. Yes. Um, and she always pivots to the fact that her father battled with alcoholism mm -hmm. for years, and mm -hmm. she grew up with that in her family, and she's seen a struggle. And she knows that this is a real thing. Like, he is not, he, right. he is one of many people who get a DWI, sure. who have gotten DWIs. Sure. And we know that alcoholism can easily be, you know, some a way that people are suppressing their mental health issues. Sure. So something sure. could have happened that could have triggered the fact that you feel the need to relieve mm -hmm. yourself in mm -hmm. this way. Just some points to talk about on her bill. She wants to expand funding for state and local communities and detect and respond mental health conditions. Okay. Um, so she wants to fund mental health programs at schools, do trainings for doctors, recognize early warning signs, and launch a national suicide prevention campaign, which mm. is crazy because I didn't realize this until I worked for the Senate that the suicide hotline that we have in New York State is funded by New York State. I always thought that yeah. that was yeah. already a national campaign. Right. The fact that we're not funding this nationally is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. um, she wants to ex expand access to treatment, mental health, of course, and recovery services, of course, the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. um, she wants to prioritize mental health and substance abuse treatment over jail for nonviolent offenders. Mm. We've already started that on a local level, but right. having that recognized federally is awesome. And then she wants the manufacturers of those opioids to pay for it. So two cent fee on each milligram of active opioid ingredient in prescription drugs is the charge and the fee we will make, which she says will basically pay for this. Oh, for sure. Because they've been pumping opioids into our communities for years right. now. They've made tons of money and hey, uh, it's time for them to pay for something. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Do you think that this bill can be, first do you think we can get it done? Right, right. Because I mean, if we don't take the Senate back and the and the White House, I don't know if we're getting. Well, this she would passed. have to also win, right? And she would have also have to win, right? And do you? I mean, these are great points, mm -hmm. but we know how government is sometimes. Sure. Like, are they gonna get the job done? I, you know, I don't know if if it'll happen, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's so many different factors that play yes. into it, and the specific plan. Although I think it's it's awesome and it mm -hmm. raises that type of awareness, there are a lot of different yeah. things that kind of fall under that that would need to take place for that to happen. Um, but I think what she's doing is really putting that platform at a different level yes. and raising that initiative essentially to talk about issues that are plaguing our communities right mm -hmm. now. So when you think about mental health and substance use, it's something that it doesn't get as much attention, although it impacts almost every single person here yes. you know, that, that is in the States. And so I think it shows that this is something that's really needed um, and something that hasn't always had a lot of backing mm -hmm. or understanding around it. So when you think about substance use, and she's talking about her father and how 
through his alcoholism, she's seen how that impacted her family, and that's something that continues to really impact a lot of folks. So it's important, I think, that if, if other people maybe take heed to it yeah. and understand that this is something that sh- they should also be talking about. I know, you know, Medicaid for All is always a yeah. large conversation, but for her to specifically signal and pull out mental health issues and substance use, it's really important, and yeah. it's something that we need to continue to put at the forefront. I mean, Amy Klobuchar does not excite me. However, this plan right here is major. That, that is major. It's major. And I'm hoping that other candidates mm-hmm. jump on board because it's cool. Yeah. So last but not least, mm-hmm. if the folks want to find you on social yeah. media, where do they go? They can check me out. Uh, it's Grace is Grown on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter um, and Akua Adu on Facebook and Akua Men's Adu on LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. Listen, she threw the business plug. You the know, business. LinkedIn. You gotta, you gotta, like, you gotta find her sure. where she at. Okay. Sure. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I for really having appreciate me. you. No problem. Um, I appreciate the work you do. I've been watching you for some time now. Yeah. She's been moved on up. Yes. So thank you so much. So citizens, you know what to do. If we can send a hundred thousand men and women to war, we can send them same folks to vote. Mm. Let's get it done. The surge twenty twenty. This was citizen the pod. My conversation with Adrian Gar is up next. Stay tuned. And we are back with Citizen the Pod. Amen for all y'all out there who be paying attention to little old me, okay? We getting this show popping today because we're digging down into the weeds of things this week. And I put up a Facebook post like, does anybody want to talk Iran, foreign policy? And guess who Guess who hopped on my set and was like, girl, me, okay? You're so, friendly. you know, she's been on the show before. Yep. Miss Adrian Guy, what's up? How you doing? Good. I'm your friendly neighborhood social worker. You so, know. hi, I'm back. <laughs> she back because it's time for us to talk about the shits, okay? Yeah. It's a whole lot of shit going on, okay? Excuse my French for all those out there listening, i.e. dad. You'll get over it, just though. <laughs> anyway, so first off, yesterday, all right, because we're just going to do all foreign affairs, all the crazy nonsense, because I know sometimes that stuff is like the last thing the news talks about, and they'll give you two snippets, but like stuff is getting real. Like we on the brink of war, and we're in a trade fight war with China, yep. and Kim Jong-un is throwing up missiles, and we got a B-52 bomber headed to Iran, and their army is now considered a terrorist organization. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. So a lot let's get into this. So yesterday, China, the U.S. decided to increase the tariff on Chinese products from 10 to 25% in response to failing trade negotiations, all right? So in a nutshell, 45 did not get what he wanted on Thursday, had a hissy fit on Friday, and raised the tariffs, right? And China's response, of course, is, because you know, they always keep it real like, low. So they're like, it is our deepest regret over this development, but we plan to take necessary countermeasurements, right? So in a nutshell, we want to spend a lot of money on stuff. Well, they can. I mean, they're China. They're not like anything to shake a stick at. They have Mm -hmm. like millions of people, so they're economic power. And we live in a global world where we're interdependent. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I mean, they keep talking about how Trump's a good negotiator, but negotiation is not because I don't get all of I want, I'm gonna do 25%. And Mm -hmm. a tariff is, a tariff is really like a, 
It's like an unofficial sanction. That's how yeah. they work. So if there's a tariff in another country, it's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that. And they don't have to. So trade is supposed to be mutually agreeable. Right. And China has the will and the power to just be like, oh, you're going to give us a 25% tariff? Okay, well, we'll just change it so that we don't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the one of the um, places that is affecting is farmers. So soybean farmers, mm -hmm. um, it's affecting a lot. So they can't. They're gonna. They're actually calculating just what their losses are going to be because that was a major export for them. Right. Is to export soybeans to China, and with that not being a thing, China can be like, well, we can do our own soybeans. So we're just going to do internal. Right. So it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it costs us if we. Put put a tariff on a country like China because it's supposed to be an interdependent, mutually beneficial trade partnership. So China, you know, is probably thinking like a business, except their government. This is no longer beneficial for us, so mm -hmm. we're just not going to deal with it. And they can. They don't have to. And we're going to be the ones paying for it, which yeah. is what's happening right now. I was just going to say, I mean, companies that import Chinese parts to yeah. manufacture all kinds of products are just going to transfer that upcharge to the consumer. Yeah, and a lot of manufacturing for like our everyday items and even still like even things that extend to like steel right is gonna affect us because China years ago um, bought all of our steel like the real stuff like mm -hmm. not um, you know metals that were mixed or anything they bought all of our old steel from all of the old factories and stuff mm -hmm. so they have you know they have that market now right. so it's really gonna affect us more than them mm -hmm. again a tariff is like an unofficial sanction and that's usually what countries do before they just outright say we're gonna sanction you they usually will do a tariff it's like a step in the process um, tariff does not mean tax and I need someone who's an advisor in the administration to let Trump know that tariff mm. is not a tax. It's not a tax. It's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. I mean, and it's, look, it won't be the first time that we found out that Trump doesn't know the meanings of the words that he says. So. Yeah. I feel like I feel like he really doesn't know what it means. I think he thinks it means he's taxing them, and it's not. That's not what it is. Right. It's literally just. It's just causing problems. Mm -hmm. Like a tariff. It's supposed to be a punishment, and you can't really use that as a punishment for a country like China when everything that the U.S. does is so interdependent on each other. Mm -hmm. um, you usually would apply a tariff to a country, you know, maybe like I want like North Korea. No, I was gonna say They're North severely Korea. like sanctioned because of the the way they treat their people. Mm -hmm. But you are not able to do that to China. So it's like, I don't know, it's like a, a like a high stakes, you know, who can do worse and we're gonna lose every time just because of the nature of the global economy. And of course we're not discussing the human rights atrocities China is right now doing yeah. um, when it comes to their Muslim yeah. communities. Right now, I believe it's being characterized as not like, like camps, like they're literally Yeah, they've been putting... doing it for years though. It's right. just gotten into the news, but of course, cause um, me, I've been watching it for just like um, with the Rohingya Muslims, like right. this situation in China, even though the Rohingya Muslim situation is something totally different situation in China, they've been doing this for at least five or six years, probably wow. if not longer. Um, in the past, even with Christians, um, they would um, take Christians Bible for a while. It was illegal to have like a Bible with you, um, with the you know folks who are you know of the Islamic faith. They're putting them in camps mm -hmm. and just it's it's not good. Mm -hmm. um, but 
but this is not the reason why we're applying the tariff. It's not. It's you know, not. It of would, course it's not. It, it would be, be it would be a little bit better if that was addressed, right. but that's not being addressed. This is more of a I don't know, it's like he's I guess he he thinks he's a great negotiator, but he's not. But yeah, China has a lot. Uh, they have a lot going on, mm-hmm. um, and they have a lot of different people. But the situation with Muslims there is terrible because they are just snatching people mm-hmm. off the street. Like China has a history of doing stuff. And it would like be that. too much like right for yeah. this president to try to address human That's, rights concerns and our trade issues. Yeah. Like, we just can't get him to Priorities. be a real person. Yeah, I'm Priorities. like, where's your humanity, dude? Anyway, we're going to keep going because it, oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> so the John Bolton, who is our crazy warmongering um, national security advisor. Right now, we don't have a secretary of defense. That was Mad Dog Mattis, who was supposed to be the adult in the room for a while, who decided to just quit on Trump because, of course, he was just not going to do something that the man asked for. That was crazy. Fundamentally, I felt safer when Mattis was there because I'm too. just like there's some like there's a watchman on the wall. I'm like okay, as exactly. Long as he's, like Game as of Thrones, as, yeah, okay. Like he was protecting everybody. He was like Tyrion and Varys together. So like yes. Mattis is gonna be. He's gonna watch out for us. He's gonna serve the realm. He's gonna make sure that exactly. it's gonna be all right. Yeah. And then he resigned. I was like, damn no. it. I knew it wasn't gonna be perfect. I, I tried to keep hope alive. I knew. Because with Mattis, I was like, eventually he's going to have to resign because something's going to happen that just conflicts with his values. Yes. And he's going to, I think he's going to try. And I think he made a good try. But I'm not, I'm now more uh, concerned. Yes, That's because John Bolton is known for cherry picking. And this is the Washington Post. And I quote, cherry picking intel in order to serve an agenda for him yeah, like which is now he's known to do work. that like he exaggerates global threats mm-hmm. i mean even after wmds were considered a lie he still wanted to have add that to the conversation when it came to the iraq war so this is someone who likes us beefing with people yeah um and he does not win because trump now is questioning our aggressive strategy in venezuela because john Bolton pushed this idea that there was going to be a coup, that there were going to be two people that were going to walk away from President Maduro so that, that we can go in there and have our picked person become president, and it failed on them. And this was yeah. all John Bolton's idea, and but that's what bad, we that's look what, like idiots now. That's what cherry-picking data will get for you. So the thing about getting the outcome, and mm-hmm. if you're a social worker, you do any kind of work with predicting outcomes, your assessment, if you do a bad assessment, and you have like bad information mm-hmm. or you exaggerate it too much, you're going to get a terrible outcome. Like the reality of the situation is not going to happen the way that you think yes. in your head. So the fact that he does this, consi- like this is a consistent behavior, like he didn't mm-hmm. just yes. start doing it now. This is consistent. Um, and it's a disaster. Like in Venezuela, they, you know, put all of their economy in one basket. They, I think, I don't know. Don't quote me on the numbers, but economists would probably know better than me. I think about 80% of what they planned for as far as, you know, revenue was all in oil. All in oil. Mm-hmm. And when the price of oil dropped, this is kind of what we have. And they had elections and things like that, but there was no there was no coup so much as the fact that there's 300% um, inflation right now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that 
folks in Venezuela were probably not doing that great because they never got that revenue back into the community. Mm -hmm. So the government was fine with making the revenue, but I don't think it really got trickled down. To the down. People. Yeah, and, that, and we know trickle down economics does not work. No. <laughs> okay. Oh my people gosh. with power here. And this yeah. is a whole democracy, and we have tax dollars that can funnel into different areas. They're still willing to keep their money. Yeah, like, budgets are important, and you can tell what a government values by how they budget. How they spend their money, So yes. a budget is a moral document, um, and if wherever the money goes, that's where, the, that's where their heart is. Like, if it's mm -hmm. like the U.S., where it's mostly defense and it's mostly this, you can tell what a country is doing by where their money goes, and mm -hmm. it's plain it's plain and simple. It's not that complicated. Yeah. And when you have a situation where a country is like, we're going to keep all the oil revenue and not put it into the community, not even budget for it, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. They were headed for a significant problem. And I think the only reason why Bolton was interested in Venezuela, which is similar with the WMD situation, is oil as, mm -hmm. as a resource. Yeah. And I guess they have this trumped up idea of like the Marshall, like an idea of like what, an expanded Marshall plan, like outside foreign actors should not be interjecting themselves into Western civilization's business or everybody that is on the, you know, every country that's on like our side of the hemisphere. Yeah. So that's North and South America. Like, so Trump had a 90 minute conversation with Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin was able to tell him that he's not spend, he's not sending any money or any aid to President Maduro. Mind you, Pompeo and Bolton accused Russia of propping up Maduro with money and military equipment. And of course, our president, oh, you know, Putin, me and Putin are friends. So because he Which told me he wasn't sending any money, he's not. Yeah, like It's really interesting. Uh, interesting. <laughs> the man, if it was up to Trump, he would be a dictator. But he can't be a dictator because yeah, this is I a think, democracy. And I've said this before, and I don't, I haven't changed. I th really think he thinks like he's the king of America. Like oh, he, he would if he could be, he would. Like he doesn't understand that we don't have a true democracy. So what we have is a Republican democracy. So it's a little bit different from mm -hmm. an absolute true democracy. The reason for that is, is that this thing only works is when our civilians are informed and yes. they make like informed decisions. Like yes. you're not going to get like a perfect, you know, candidate, but the way that this thing works is the populace in general, if they're informed and they know kind of what's have mm -hmm. kind of like a heartbeat on what's going on, right. um, they can vote for the right representative to represent what they would like to have so we don't work as a true democracy right um and the reason for that is because we we have someone like trump in office so mm -hmm. it slows him down so people complain about our process being so slow it's intentional and i'm glad for it right now because a lot of the ways things work is slowing a lot of his stuff down yes because i can only imagine <laughs> I can, only I can only if imagine. If this was a true democracy, yes. like this would be, oh my gosh. Or if the House of Representatives right now was still like Republican controlled. Right, would it would be. This would be like, it would yeah. be chaos. It so. would be chaos. So amen to all of you who voted in the midterms of 2018. Yeah. Anyway, so let's keep going because it just, it just keeps going with the nonsense. So anyway, so let's talk about Iran. So a year ago, Trump pulled us out of the Iran deal. And in its simplest form, the Iran deal was the U.S. and European countries would lift sanctions right. on Iran. And in return, they would stop enriching uranium and creating right. and moving towards a nuclear weapon. I right. mean, simple. Yeah, they were what um, Obama was trying to do. And I like that their administration tried. They were trying to kind of 
get them integrated back into the world economy so mm -hmm. that they weren't on the outs so much and being, you know, isolated. And they they worked really hard on it and they were they were trying. So even from the beginning of investigating why they're enriching uranium, if they're actually doing this for nuclear power, because Iran is very, you know, mountainous and stuff yes. like that. Or are they doing this, you know, for another reason? You know, if you're a poor country and you are sanctioned, you gotta get it how you live. Mm -hmm. So I think to the Obama administration's credit to try to put in like a policy like they did that is incremental to mm -hmm. help them kind of get back into the world economy was really innovative. But with Trump, I noticed that any policy from the Obama administration, with the exception of the economic policies that are working really well for us still now, mm -hmm. they're trying to take everything back, which is unfortunate because in Iran, that leaves space for extremism and a lot of other things to kind of take root. And um, I mean, we're, we're seeing a few things. So one, one, we left our European allies just hanging. Which so, is bad. Which That's is a terrible. bad relationship. Like, relationships are everything in life and just in general. So, mm -hmm. us doing that is not like. It's gonna have like ramifications for like future administrations. Yeah. Him put him doing that. Well, and then our this administration can't keep their word. So right. you know, so it's gonna uh, cause us who, problems. Yeah. So who wants to come to the table with you? You know, Trump sent a letter to Iran asking for a sit down mm -hmm. with their. I don't know if it's their president. I'm not really sure, but their leader. And he told him no. He was like, no. What, what am I coming to the table for? Yeah, he had, I wonder if it he, was an imam because they usually usually between the president yes. and the imam like over the country. Country, mm -hmm. uh, most Muslim um, countries, they have an imam and the leader, and they usually work like together. Like overlap. But I, I mean, I, if, I probably would have said no. Too. Right. He said no. <laughs> yeah. um, he's he also, he definitely can't be trusted. Yeah. They've designated the Islamic Revolutionary Guard in a nutshell, their army as a terrorist organization, ban the purchase of Iranian oil, which is a problem for Japan and South Korea, right. our allies, um, and then sanctioned another key export, industrial metal. So again, we have this president throwing our allies under the bus and basically forcing them to choose Iran or the U.S. Yeah. But at least Iran has kept their word because they stayed in that deal with our European allies yeah. for a while before. Because they, I think they want to be, you know, they don't want to be this country that is, you know, a, you know, for all into a bad country. And it shows by them, okay, what can we export? We can export metals. We can now export our oil. We can start to kind of get back on the track yes. of being a legitimate country and being a decent country versus being, you know, Iran is bad. The problem with what the Trump administration is doing is that for you know, better or worse, whether you like to the administration or not, uh, American leadership was something that world governments could count on. Yes. They now cannot do that. And that is whoever comes behind this man is going to have a really hard time, like an extremely hard time of reestablishing those relationships and building trust because this is just like so unprecedented. Like yeah. Trump's making history, but not, 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 in not a good, good way. way. <laughs> and then I mentioned this before, we're, we've just recently sent a B-52 bomber to to, yeah. uh, to Iran because, you know, there have been some reports stating that there may have been some Both. plots 
for the Iranians to bomb or attack some U.S. embassies. And like it, like we said, John Bolton, our national security advisor, decides to cherry pick the information that he wants in order to make an argument. So that is not how you do intelligence gathering, if you were wondering. Not That's at usually all. not how it goes. This is not how you govern. Yeah. This is not how you sit next to the nuclear code. This is not how you handle Trump. And I we all know that. he listens to the last person who spoke to him. So this is nonsense. This is nonsense. But anyway, folks, if folks want to know where you at on social media, how do they I find changed, you? I changed all my names because oh. people have been looking for me. So I decided to be a grown up. And you can, you can she really grew just up find me. I grew up this year. <laughs> you can just find me at like Adrian Gar on Facebook and um, Adrian C. Gar on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. Just, just my name now. I don't have like 40 different aliases. Like I work, you know, as a as a government spy, like everyone can find me now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, you can find me just just my name, Adrian Gower, and I should I should pop up really easily. So. Right. <laughs> so folks, listen. It's a lot for you to know. It's a lot for you to understand. It's a lot for you to read up about. You have a homework assignment. I encourage you to read about Venezuela. Go read just about because, Venezuela. Just because I know there's a lot going on, but it does read like a telenovela, except it's like real. So just just start with Venezuela because it's, it's a little bit, I guess, lighter. And mm-hmm. then like have some like Moscato and then um, <laughs> then like take a nap and then like just look at the rest do of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because you take a break. You need to know. Don't, it's going to affect the, Don't everyone. inhale it all in at one yeah. time. So if we can send 100,000 men and women to war, we can definitely send them to vote. The surge 2020 is upon yeah. us just people. Just two minutes. Just two minutes. You know. Yeah. Citizen the pod. What's up, citizens, voters, patriots? It's your girl, Kina Zantel. And if you want to know more about me and the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kina Zantel. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Kina Zantel, and hit subscribe on all the podcast platforms that you're listening to the show on.